So we're talking about the uh, 13 you. principles of faith. And, um, you know, the idea of principles are kind of themes that you have to believe. That's Maimonides, uh, in his commentary, Mishnah, he brought these books here because I wanted to show you guys the original, uh, where it actually is brought down. Um, where do these 13 principles come from? Now, when Maimonides wrote this commentary in the Mishnah, first things, it was the first complete commentary in the Mishnah. No one had ever done that. The Mishnah was already printed uh, 900 years before Maimonides was, was born. Right? Maimonides was born in 11, um, 1135 he was born. The Mishnah was already almost, almost a thousand years old and no one had written a complete commentary on all 63 books. Now Maimonides, as a teenager, as a teenager, he was I think he was eighteen or nineteen years old. He started writing a commentary, and he had fin- finished it by the time he was twenty four. So by the time like his, our kids are like twenty four, Maimonides had accomplished wow, something incredible. that no one, no one had ever accomplished in a thousand years prior. <clears throat> and it's uh, interesting yes. he spoke Spanish. Well, he's, well he he grew up in Spain. He lived in Spain until he was fifteen. That's probably why. You know? He moved. Yeah, uh, he moved to um, Fez in Morocco at the age of fifteen because the Al Alomahads, the um, uh, radical Muslims, okay. uh, right. came and they basically said, "If you convert to Muslim, fine, or else you have five minutes to leave." Oh, basically. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so him and his family left, and they ended up living Sell. for nine years in a uh, in a uh, in a cave in the mountains in. Uh, in, in the Atlas Mountains in, 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 in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And there he wrote this massive commentary. And the age of 24 moved to Cairo and he published it. So basically you have this commentary in all of Mishnah, 63 books of Mishnah, written by this young scholar by the name of Rabbi Moshe, you mean, the son of Maimon, Maimonides. This is his interpretation of the... Well, it's, he writes specifically his interpretation because he, uh, he links his tradition back to Moses. Which is, which is something that kind of ended at that period where the claim that he studied from his teacher, who studied from his teacher, went all the way back to Moses. That kind of ended at that period. But he writes that I study everything I know I studied from my teacher, who got it from his teacher, all the way back to Moses. Okay, but comment, uh, a comment, what is a commentary? Is well, commentary is just explaining. The Mishnah, the Mishnah is a book of, basically a book of Jewish law. You know, it's 63 books covering, spanning everything that you need to know about Jewish law. And Jewish philosophy and Jewish, uh, not so much philosophy, more, more law, but you some philosophy creeps in there. Yeah. But it's very terse, it's very succinct, it's uh, very brief, and it's just basically the foundation of Jewish law. It's just the basics, you know, kind of the framework. And he knew all of that. Oh, Maimonides was a scholar beyond <laughs> anything we can even imagine. Wow. So in his book, there's this one chapter, the very last chapter of the book of Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is a book of of uh, basically a jurisprudence, right? How justice works, kind of the ju- judicial perspectives, uh, how they how they interrogate witnesses, how they uh, comprise the the judicial branches of 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 the of the court systems, um, how they ex- how they execute you know Jewish uh, ju- Jewish forms of execution for what it's given, like very, like all those uh, related laws. And the last chapter is somewhat of an outlier because it talks about yes, total departure. Huh? It's a total departure. What do you mean? The last chapter? If it's if it's the principles, right? So the last chapter talks about this world to come, this idea of this uh, of this um, afterlife of this afterlife exactly. And Maimonides uh, says before we get started, this is something. But in his commentary, you see, like the commentary is very. This is kind of a look at what the commentary looks like. He brings a Mishnah and has a few lines to explain. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, he incorporates a lot of the Talmud, etc. But it's basically on the entire book. You have a few pages. Okay. And then, over here, as an introduction to this chapter, because it's on a philosophical issue that's that's somewhat cloudy, Maimonides says, I'm going to give you clarity. And first he starts off by saying there's five different interpretations he collects. It's very organized. Maimonides, the one thing about Maimonides is that he's super organized. Everything is, is chapters, and everything's broken down to books, and to sections, and to chapters, and subsections, and subparagraphs. Everything's organized, super organized. And he says to you, there's five prevailing opinions. And he lists them one after another as to what the afterlife means. And, you know. and he has a whole essay, a treatise. It's, like, it's, it's, it's very long, actually. Uh, it's, you know, it's fascinating. They have that in English? Yeah, well, they have a good job. Look, look, look at this. It starts over here, just just goes on and on and on and on and on. And kind of just gives you like a, 
a framework of what, like, the Jewish perspective of punishment, afterlife, Messiah, heaven and hell, all these interesting esoteric topics he delves into and explains to you what it is. And then at the end, he has what he calls the 13 principles of faith. That would be this. These. So this is the first, this is the second, this okay. is the third. This is where it comes from. Now think about it. You have a scholar who's in his teens who writes a book and in the book, he says that there's 13 elements of faith that are so crucial, they're so fundamental, that they're considered principles, and they're a baseline, and everyone has to believe them, and they're different than every other piece of bits of faith. They're the they're, they're, they're groundwork, the foundation of our religion. This was tremendously controversial, and he had his detractors, that he has, as he had in many of his other writings, like the, the Guide to the Perplexed was... Um, publicly burned by Jewish uh, fanatics. Well, Maimonides, Guide to Perplex, was one of the, one of the yeah. premier works of philosophy wow. that uh, in medieval times. Uh, but he wrote that, which is a, basically a Jewish Guide to the Perplex. Oh, um, that was Maimonides' basically Jewish slant yeah. on, 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 on Greek philosophy. That's why it's not so much studied today, because Greek philosophy <laughs> is kind of out of... It's, out of, uh, it's not so popular anymore. No. But he basically presented Jew- Judaism and the Jewish worldview through the lens of, 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 of the Greek philosophical perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were also very controversial. But you have um, this uh, bo- or this uh, delineation of the principles of faith that uh, Maimonides writes, and people went crazy. Uh, and in fact, there were books written as rebuttals of his 13 principles. Now... Um, it's interesting to note that if you analyze the 13 principles, you'll find you guys did the first five. All the first five are basically theology, right? God. How do we define God? Is it one part? Is it multiple parts? Is there a body, right? Is, you know, the limitations, God's limitations, basically is understanding what it means to be God. The next four are about prophecies. Today we're going to talk about prophecy. So we'll have today the idea of prophecy. We'll have the uh, superiority of Moses' prophecy. We have the idea of the Torah, which is basically delivered via prophecy. And we have that the Torah is the same Torah. This Torah we have today is the same Torah that Moses has. So those are the four principles of prophecy. And the last four are reward and punishment. So the idea of Messiah is one of the, the idea of the, uh, the idea of the world to come, etc. I think we did principle six. We did six? I have it written down. Last week we did... Well, okay, so we could do seven. That's fine. Now, there was this one book written by a contemporary, what's called Sefer Ikrim, the Book of the Principles. And he spends half of the book basically rebutting Maimonides. That there, he says that Maimonides says there's 13 principles. He says, no, no, there are only three principles. What are the three principles? Believe in God, believe in prophecy, believe in reward and punishment. But God, prophecy, reward and punishment. Okay. Now, if you actually analyze Maimonides, he's saying those same three principles, but he's breaking it down. Because it's very important. If you say to, you walk across the street to the, to the, to the church, when I don't advise this, but I'm saying theoretically, if we were to take a little class tour, we go to the, we go to the uh, parking lot and we say, hey, do you believe in God? Yes, we go around. Everyone will say yes. Everyone, you, you know, you come to synagogue. You know, you know, well, I don't know. You know, they'll all say we believe in God, and then we say, do you believe that you know Jesus had some sort of relationship with God, or is is the you know? So you might get different answers about that question. But Christians ascribe divine qualities to a man, to Jesus. The false prophet. Well, false prophet or false god or whatever. But either way, they may indeed believe that there is some sort of power that empowers everything else, that is the root of all existence and all life, but they'll go astray in kind of the breakdown of what that means. That it has no body, cannot take manifestation of physical form, has no parts, right? is not limited. Those things, they'll go astray. So, so, so therefore, what Maimonides says that it's, if, if there are five elements of what we say when we believe in God. That's very, very important. Similarly, what we're talking about today, prophecy, the idea of God communicating to people, well, there's multiple elements of that, and each one of those elements is crucial to have our religion. Because if you don't believe in our God, if you don't believe in our Torah, and you don't believe that our actions have consequences, which is the idea of reward and punishment, right? our actions matter. Right? Whether we live or die makes an impact. Right? If you, uh, a good parent it matters to them what their child does. If for us to have a relationship with God, it has to matter 
whether we act in a good way or a bad way. If it doesn't matter, then our actions are meaningless, and therefore our religion is meaningless. So that's why you actually, Maimonides and the Book of, of Principles, Sefer Ikram, actually, actually agree. Uh, and the first question we're always going to have to ask whenever we talk on a, on a principle is that why is that a principle? You know, why is it important? Well, we're going to learn today that the idea of the, the prophecy of Moses, that is one of the principles. One of the principles is to believe in the, the, that Moses was uh, a prophet or was the prophet, and his prophecy uh, superseded that of any of his peers that came before him, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or that came after him, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Samuel, right? The superiority of, of Moses' prophecy. What's the matter? Throw in a Deborah. Give me something. Oh, Deborah, for sure, for sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> Throw in a Deborah. <laughs> Rachel, Rebecca, Leah, just pick any one of them. <laughs> Sarah. You Sarah. know, the Talmud says that the, the prophecy of Sarah superseded that of Abraham. You know? It does? That's what it says in the Talmud. Oh, Abraham. I was thinking Moses. Okay, Sarah, Abraham. Yeah, yeah I can take that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, interestingly, the Torah also tells us that we have Gentiles that were prophets as well. Right? We have Bilam, right? Remember the 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 um, um, the Jews are are leaving uh, Egypt or they're in the de- they're in the wilderness. They had just left, and uh, a fellow by the name of Bilam or Balam, I'm not pronouncing it in English, uh, is employed by Balak, the ki- the king of Midian, to get this prophet to curse the Jews. Remember that? I've never sort of. heard it. Yeah, yes. it, it, it's, actually, it's in the Haggadah, isn't it? Uh, maybe we mentioned it. Yeah, I think we did. Otherwise, it's, otherwise, I can't figure out why I would ring a bell. The Book of Numbers. Well, maybe, maybe oh, you maybe, read it. Oh, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Torah, weekly Torah. Thank you. <laughs> that's why I might ring yeah, a bell. that's why I ring a bell. <laughs> okay, that's so... exactly where it is. So what we're going to try to do is understand, oh, basically, I, what I want to give you guys is maybe a roadmap how we can achieve prophecy or what are the qualifications of a prophet because we have many, like... Clear instructions. It's not like there's anything that you need to. There's nothing that you cannot understand about the qualifications. It is about coming in a dream and and uh, and uh, now, <laughs> there were like five things. We so we covered we covered some of this last week. That's why that is sounding familiar. Also, uh, I don't know. I was covered. I was covered last week. I wasn't here last time. On so. Um, uh-huh. On yeah, because it was. I was looking up into looking up into my brain area, seeing if I could come up with the other things. I know that That's a false okay. prophet will die. Will be executed. Will be executed. Someone is who. Is this all in principle six, or is this? Is well, we're doing principle six, so we'll do we'll, do, we'll just do quickly okay, quickly do six, and then we'll do seven. Now, prophets. The Jews had Jewish people had prophets till who? Who was the last? Who knows who the last prophet was? Yeah. We do know. <laughs> now we know that Judaism is right now a non-profit organization. We know that uh, we don't have any profits anymore. Exactly. We're always, uh, <laughs> we're always, we're always in deficit mode. We're a five hundred one c three. We will not get locked in. And <laughs> but what, can we lock I, I have, out? I have the code. No, I have the code, and I talked to the president, and he's going to call me back and. Tell me how to make sure. I've got an unrelated question real quick. What's, what's your unrelated, unrelated question? Why don't Israelis uh, believe in the death penalty? Well, that's really well, um, are you talking about punishment? Well, it's actually interesting because even in Jewish law, now that they just made passed a law t- uh, this week, a very controversial law, which is uh, assigning Israel as a Jewish country. Anyone saw, saw that yes. in the news? Yeah. And one of the elements of that law was uh, that the justice system in Israel would take inspiration from the Jewish law. Uh, but even Jewish law, when Jewish law is uh, in its full effect, and the Jews have sovereignty of Israel, and there's a temple, and there's everything, and there's a Jewish king, right? The only time we actually have the death penalty is when the Sanhedrin, right, this, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, is in session and they're in, on Temple Mount. Uh, Moses, Moses uh, in the Book of Numbers, back to the Book of Numbers, established a, a Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin, 71 uh, justices, uh, that they, were in, that they uh, existed without any breaks for 
about 1,500 years. Uh, there were times where they hatched, actually left Israel, and they went to Yavne, they went to other places up north. But w- so long as the, as the Sanhedrin was in session and it was located on Temple Mount with the temple, then they actually meted out capital punishment. But once the Sanhedrin was not in session, or they were disbanded, or they had left Temple Mount and they were in session elsewhere, they, they could not actually, that's already a law, that's already in the Torah. Uh, that's, that, that's when they, they have the rights to kind of, uh, to mete out capital punishment. Now, what's interesting about that is that the Talmud uh, declares that 40 years before the destruction of the Second Temple, the Sanhedrin left Jerusalem and went to Yavne. Yavne was a city in northern Israel. In the Galilee, right? and then they went to Yavne. They ended up at Sipori. The Talmud gives us kind of the uh, the in, in Tractate Rosh Hashanah gives us the uh, the travels of 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 this body of, of of justices of scholars. If the Jew, if the Jewish Supreme Court had left their post in Jerusalem forty years before the destruction of the Second Temple, when was the Second Temple destroyed? The year 70, that's correct. So then they would have left at the year, trick mathematics, 100 years before? 40, 40, 40 years before, 40. so the year 30. Okay. They left 40 years before, the year 30. That means that the Jews would not have engaged in any form of execution, not only in Jerusalem, but anywhere. Anywhere the Jewish courts exist, they would not have done that because the the, the right or the the uh, capability of any Jewish court to, to meet our capital punishment was only when the Jews, when the Sanhedrin was in session in the temple. And therefore, um, the question of whether or not we executed Jesus, interestingly, um, uh, is somewhat related to this uh, to this uh, question, because the Jews could not, by Jewish law, have executed him past the year 30 unless the Sanhedrin was in session in Jerusalem. Now, there is a theory, I'm not going to argue about this, I know this is a very, uh, it's a controversial topic, a lot, of people know, a lot of people have like kind of their perspective, but no one really knows, but there is a theory already brought down in Jewish literature, now Jewish literature could go both ways, there's some that seems to indicate that we did execute him, there are those that say that we didn't. The, the, all, the New Testament itself says that we didn't. It's not so clear. But there is a theory dating back almost a thousand years that says that the Sanhedrin, while they actually, while they left Jerusalem 40 years before the destruction of the temple, a second temple, they actually went back periodically when there was a need, when there was a need to execute someone. And we have a statement of Jewish literature that says that that actually it references uh, said execution. So I don't know. Either way. So that's about that. So today, in modern day is uh, Israel uh, justice system, we don't have, they don't have it, because I guess it's probably a uh, um, you know, they adopted basically English common law, and you know, a lot of you know, there was a uh, issuing of capital punishment already, uh, you know, 50, 70 years ago, um, in other places, not in the United States, uh, and therefore they have only to date executed a single one individual. And who is that? Who might that be? Eichmann. That's right, Eichmann in 1962. Wow. So that was the only person that was executed because there was they changed the law that says that Nazi uh, Nazis could be executed. But besides for that, they don't do that. Will they reestablish it? Who knows? Well, I was thinking of all the, you know, the terrorists you know, that yeah. they have in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead well, of letting them go. What, the, what they actually do now is they just shoot them before they, uh, before they catch up. Oh, there was a gunshot. It's a gunfight. Yeah, you just shoot them. Oh, That's okay. simple fight. Uh, is that final now, that law that says that Israel is a Jewish state? I believe they passed it. Yes, I believe they passed it. I think it's a very good thing, you know. There's no reason why the Jew, the singular Jewish state should have uh, should have any doubt as to, mm-hmm. you know, its nature. Who, who this oh, the Israeli government. And, you know, and they say, this is a Jewish state. This is, this is, this is what it's all about. So Zionism is all about, to have a Jewish state. There's 75 Muslim states and 150 Christian states. How can we can't have one single Jewish state? We can't. It was a Jewish state, it was a Jewish state but Arab, Arabic was, uh, for example, one of the things that they did. They delisted Arabic as a national language. Why would you have Arabic as a national language? It's a Jewish state. Hebrew is the Hebrew's language. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Seems yeah, legitimate. Yeah, we have English, but everybody speaks Spanish. That's right. Well, I don't think we have official uh, uh, listed language, 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 languages. If you want to form, if you want to form in Vietnamese, you'll get it. Have we should. Well, we, we should. should. Okay, let's get the argument then. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. On your television station, we should. <laughs> on all television stations. 
Either way. Let's get back to prophecy. So, a but prophet. The last, the last prophet is bugging me. Yes. Go ahead oh. and build the bees. I so, we have... Um, the, the last prophet? We have... Uh, the prophets were the leaders of the people for about 900 years. And we'll notice, if we talk more about Jewish history, we'll see that there was a major change that, over, that enveloped the Jewish people at the beginning of the Second Temple, Second Commonwealth era. Uh, individuals by the name of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Malachi, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azari. These are the names of the, la- of the latter prophecies. The last one that we have is Malachi. Malachi. In, yeah, in, that's what uh, they call him on the radio. Yes, Malachi, Malachi in Hebrew. We could speak in Hebrew. We could call him by the Hebrew names, right? Okay. Uh, so that's that. Uh, now, when prophecy ended, we see that a lot of challenges that the Jewish people had not hitherto experienced uh, they actually uh, had to endure. Like uh, before that, you never had wholesale rejection of traditional Jewish perspectives. Right after the, 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 the end of prophecy, you meet the Sadducees and the Baitusim, which is a, a sister group. We know a lot about the Sadducees because Josephus writes about the Sadducees. But that was a group of people that rejected uh, certain elements of the oral Torah. So they, uh, so they took everything in the Torah literally. So if the Torah says uh, there shouldn't be a fire in your house or in, in your communities on Shabbat, they had no lights, you know, they had no hot food, everything was, you know, because they took the Torah literally. Uh, so when a Torah says wear tefillin between your eyes, it doesn't mean that it should be aligned in the middle of your head. Rather, they put tefillin like that. Uh, that, was a, that was a problem that the Jewish people hadn't had because they had a direct divine link through a prophet. And, and, there, and there, was, there was unquestioned authority. Once that divine link was severed, they, it opened up the door for sectarianism, for schisms, for uh, illegitimate teens like we had in the Second Temple era. We have teens that were not from the Davidic line, like the Hasmoneans. Those were not. There was there were Kohanim. They couldn't have been from the tribe of Judah uh, via via King David if they were Kohanim, right? Because then they came from the tribe of Levi. So that caused a lot of chaos. Once yeah, you lose that. Uh, link okay. to prophecy. So we're good. Okay, thank you so much for calling Now, what are the qualifications to be a prophet? So, okay, so we might have said that... Um, So, what are the qualifications to be a, to be a prophet? Number one, some of this is straight out of my mind, is you have to be a great scholar. What does that mean? Not only you have to read the entire Torah, you have to know it by heart. You have to know all the laws of the Mishnah. You have to know all the, all the time. You have to know it so well that you're a scholar on on, on the stale that is unprecedented for, for us uh, in this days. No, I'm sorry? No, Maimonides brings that down as the qualifications. I missed it. I'm sorry. Uh, a scholar. You have to be yeah, a great scholar. You have to know everything. Uh, you have to be mighty. And this is a direct quote from a that I just translated. Mighty in his conquest of his character. Someone has to be in complete right. control of their character. Impulses. No impulses. Their desires are totally in check. Right. They um, have to be physically healthy. This is what I found, I found to be very interesting. Maimonides says, he, he writes it like, you know, kind of just slips it in. He doesn't spend too much time in it. But he says that you have to, he has to be someone who's healthy. Someone who's not healthy, who's, who has any physical ailments, they cannot be right. I don't know why. It's very interesting. I, I have to research that a little further. And I think this is the king of them all. He has to be able to isolate his focus and his mind to just spiritual matters. He cannot have any other forces or influences on, on, his, on his perspective, on his consciousness. Constantly striving to learn more and, and, uh, and, and rejecting any, 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 anything that's not related to God, to Torah, to spirituality. So, so, so someone has to basically, it's, it's, for us, it's unimaginable, right? Someone has total isolation in their, in their mind and their focus. Now, what happens when someone has prophecy? So, like you said, it's at night. Yes. It's through some sort of imagery, right? We see, like just last week's Parsha, before Porsche, we saw, what do we see? The ladder. Jacob's ladder, right? The ladder is a prophecy. For us, if we saw a ladder, right, because it's not in the form of prophecy, we don't have to try to interpret what it means. Jacob, as a prophet, he was endowed with the tools of prophecy, which is not only getting the vision, but also interpreting it. Mm-hmm. The Talmud declares, no two prophets prophesize with the same style. You cannot have, everyone has a different style. Why is that? Why does everyone have a different style in the prophecy? Because if you get a certain image, right, there is some sort of filter that has to go through, and that is the interpretation. Mm-hmm. So if you have your perspective on life, and I have my perspective on life, and all four prophets, right, we're not prophets, but if we were, we have our different personalities. 
there is some sort of filter that it has to go through, and therefore every prophet has their own style, right? Because they have their own personality. There's always a filter. Uh, if you... Jeremiah. Jeremiah sees a bloated pot. Book of Jeremiah. Right? He talks about this bloated pot. Ezekiel. You open the chapter 1 of Ezekiel, and you see what's called the Mice Merkava. Is that Ezekiel who saw the writing on the wall? Uh, I think that was... Uh, I, was that Isaiah? No, go, go back. Uh, Ezekiel. In the chapter 1 of Ezekiel, if you guys want to blow your minds, open up the book of Ezekiel, get the English translation, and read chapter 1. Because he describes in vivid detail what he's seen. Right? And it's, it's, it's striking. Half oh, the words... Well, he's the bones? Well, he's the bones, but that's okay. chapter 38 of Ezekiel. <laughs> This is chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And Ezekiel gives this uh, tremendous, like, description, very vivid, uh, like, spine-tingling description of what, of what he saw. But that's what it is. It's a, it's a vision with interpretation. And uh, we know we trust our prophets to have the, uh, uh, the um, understanding and the insight to be able to interpret them correctly. And to understand what, what the message is. Now, what's the content? What's the content of, 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 of a prophecy? Right? What is it talking about? What's going to happen to it? So, it could be either very macro, like tell the Jewish people to go on a war and co- of conquest, or tell the Jewish people to uh, fortify the city, uh, build this wall, go on this, right? do this, do that. Right? It could be something very big. It could be something pertaining to him as well, expansion of his mind. Right? God wants to give him a certain uh, understanding of deep spiritual matters for him personally. And it could also be things that are, are not so, you know, not so earth-shattering. Like we know the prophet Samuel, uh, he, uh, he was the one who coronated the first Jewish king. Who the first Jewish king? Might, who might that be? First Jewish what? King. Oh, king. David? No. Jewish. So, no, that's second and third. Who's the first? Drum roll, please. It's not Saul. It is Saul. I thought Saul came. I thought it was Saul no. after David. No, <laughs> it is Saul. Saul was the first king to be. Can I get another historical clarification? Yes. Did Elijah come before Elijah's Ezekiel? Elijah's after. Uh, Elijah's before Ezekiel. Um, in history, Elijah's uh, before. A, yeah, I think Elijah's. Did, did Ezekiel have yeah, Elijah's, one of his prophecies? One of Elijah's his before, was Elijah going up in the chariot? Elijah, yes, I believe okay. Elijah came before. Yes, yes. Okay. Maybe two, two hundred, two, three hundred years. They weren't so far away from each other. Now, Saul gets coronated by Samuel, the prophet. How does ancient coronation happen? They take some thing of oil and pours it over his head. He gets anointed. That's how prophets were, that's how kings were anointed. That's where the term, by the way, Messiah comes from. The word Meshua comes from anointed one. Right? Like, just like the, um, uh, the term Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Because in, Ju- in ancient uh, Jewish practice was that when a king became king, uh, or when a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, became the high priest, they would take a bucket of oil, special oil, and they would pour it over their head and would kind of drip all over them, and that would be like the coronation process. So Saul... Saul, the great Saul, was a mighty warrior and a tremendous scholar, shoulders and head above the people. The, what we would call the consummate leader. And he was anointed by Samuel, but he's not Samuel's son. That's, that's correct. He was anointed by Samuel. Right. Samuel was the last of the judges, remember. The, the period goes from uh, Moses dies, Joshua is the, uh, is, the, uh, is the next leader of the Jewish people, and we have 393 years of what we call the period of judges, where we meet people like Deborah. Devorah, right? Devorah. We mean like Gidon and Samson, right? 16 judges over the period of four, about 400 years. The last of them being uh, Samuel, and he was the one who anoints the first king that, that kind of uh, opens up a new era in Jewish leadership. We have the king, you have Saul, you have 40 years of, of David, 40 years of Solomon, and then you have the split where Yeruvam becomes the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Rechavam becomes the kingdom of the southern kingdom of Judah. They were Chavot. That's why it's kind of like, you're like, oh, they have to make it so difficult. Mm-hmm. One's name Yeravam and one's name Rechavam. Gosh, <laughs> they don't make it easy. So how did Saul, what was the interaction that caused Saul to be coronated? So the, the, the book of Samuel says Saul was looking for his donkey 
And what do you do when you look for your donkey? You're missing your iPhone. What do you do? You go to the prophet. So he goes to Saul, the prophet Samuel, says, where's my donkey? And he says to him, oh, your donkey is here. And by the way, you're the king of Israel. Right? Maimonides takes this as an example that the prophets not only fulfilled the spiritual leadership role, but also very practical. You know, if you wanted to know what to do in life, right, you have a dilemma, you have a quandary, right? You have something that you're, you're, you're vacillating one way or the other. You go to the prophet. And even in, in, you know, in things that we would look as not being so you know, materially important, like, where is my donkey? It's lost. You go to the prophet. They fill that role as well. So the content of the prophecy could be one of, of, of those three things, either uh, for themselves individually, expand to the mind, for someone else, or for the people kind of vision and direction and for the for, you know, leadership of, of, of the people. Now, just like there are levels, of varying levels of scholars, there's varying levels of prophets. Right? The prophecy of, 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 of Abraham or Joshua right, is different than the prophecy of Ezekiel or Isaiah or right. Everyone had their own. Just, just like it's a certain level of your of your growth mm-hmm. in your in, in, in your spirituality. So you are, you become a scholar and you can become a better scholar, a greater scholar, become a more you know a, a greater prophet, have more insight, more understanding. Now, what's very important? I think this is perhaps the most important thing of of of, of principle number six is that we don't believe in a spiritual. Uh, uh, prophecy lottery like a lot of people at least in the Gentile world they have a perspective of what prophecy means and if Joseph Smith wakes up uh, one day in the 1820s or 30s and it says oh I'm a prophet, and the angel told me this, and he gave me the golden tablets, and he gave me the uh, the book in Reformed Egyptian. I translated this book of Mormon. That's what we got to do, right? If he came to us and said that, right? He'd say, "Listen, Joseph Smith, you may be a nice guy, charismatic with a big beard and lots of wi- lots of wives, but you're what no prophet. You, what makes you a prophet? What makes you a prophet? You're yeah. no, you're not any more remarkable. And you have like an illiterate merchant named Muhammad, and he comes and he has the claim of prophecy. Well, he's unremarkable." Right, it's not just something that is just given as a as a lottery. That some oh wake up in the morning oh God spoke to me it doesn't work like that. It's another stage of someone's growth. If you're not at that point of growth, it's not going to happen to you. You don't have to worry that maybe you'll get a prophecy. You won't. All of you, myself included. You mean we're not there? They didn't qualify. They, they weren't even good candidates okay. because prophecy is a certain level of someone's growth, and therefore, if they're not at that point. They won't get it. It's just it's 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 almost organic. It's almost it's almost natural, right? It's not just random. There's no randomness. It's a certain stage of someone's growth. And my mind is he, he points it out. He says this is how you do it: become a scholar of the highest regard, right? Become a person of piety and character of the highest regard. Complete control of your of your desires. Isolate your mind. And then he says, delve into what's called Pardis, which is the deepest parts of the Torah and God. And then you may ha- you'll may you probably have a vision because you're there. You're ready. It's normal. It's not, it's not like something that, you, you know, you, you will earn it. Right. right now, we're not capable of that level of insight. And we're not going to have those kind of leaders, unfortunately. Uh, but when prophecy was, in effect, uh, that's, how it, that's how it worked. So... Uh, it's not. It's not random. There's no such thing as, as random, or there's no lottery. It's no just uh, you know doesn't work like that. Now, prophecy. Okay, that's prophecy. So why is it a why is it such a important principle? Why can't why is our religion dependent, contingent, reliant upon the idea of prophecy? Right? Maimonides is telling us this is a crucial, fundamental, right, essential, pivotal element of our worldview. There cannot be Judaism without prophecy. Why why not? I don't know. Well, what do you think? Uh, communication from God. Okay. Right. Think about it. It's actually well, it's, it's actually it's pretty simple. It's giving simple. me some serious discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you have to accept it as communication with God without elevating the man to a godlike stature. Well, for sure. And, and you know, who is the most denigrated man? Who is the villain of the Torah? Haman. Well, Haman's on the Torah. The five books of Torah, the Pentateuch, as we say in German. Who is the most vilified and castigated person of the Torah? It's somebody who tried to undermine Moses, right? Well, who is castigated more often than anyone else? That would be none other than Moses. 
It's that the Torah always points out his flaws many, many, many times. Which seems ironic when the Torah tells us that he was also the greatest man that ever lived and had the greatest level of prophecy and he gave us the Torah and he, and he was able to negotiate with angels. He was someone incredible. No one was like him. No one will ever be like him. I think perhaps the message is like this. The Jewish people always understood this. No matter how great a man is, they are yet but a man. Moses is but uh, and Mo- and Moses lived and he died and he's dead and he you know we don't ascribe divine qualities to any man. And the Torah is telling us, yes, even Moses, greatest man that ever lived, by a by a mile, still the Torah points out his flaws because no man's perfect. So when when we have a prophet who gives a, who has a vision which yeah. evolves into a prophecy, it's it's a moment in their life, and there may be a hundred moments, and there may be three. That's right. Because it, at that moment, they're at their purest and their most uh, advanced in terms of spirituality and. and okay, so there's a few. There's a few limitations. Because when you read this list, and then you say Moses is terribly flawed, he doesn't match the list. Well, okay. Well, I didn't say Moses is terribly flawed. Moses had flawed some like flaws. Of, okay, not not flawed like the rest of us, right. but the Torah magnifies it. Moses was li- less flawed than anyone, but the Torah specifically magnifies his flaws because to make sure that we don't make the mistake and say, oh, the Jewish people thought Moses was God or they just believed him because they were just terrified of him. You know, they were Jews rebelled him because they knew he, they, you know, they, they knew that he was a man. And the Torah is telling us this by, by magnifying, by magnifying the, flaw, the flaws. Not to say that he was more flawed or was as flawed, but his flaws are, uh, are. He was not perfect. He was man. That's right. That's right. Why are there no more prophets? So there's a few answers to that question. The answer that I like to say is because prophecy is, on one hand, an individual idea. On the other hand, it's a communal idea. If we had a prophet, our entire nation would look differently. Right? We would have direction. We would have vision. We would have an insight. We'd have a direct divine connection. Right? So not only do we have to have the individual who has to be meritorious enough to reach that, we also have to have the community collectively be a community worthy of having a prophet amongst them. That's right. That's right. It seems like that prophecy could be perhaps compared to changing a, a light bulb that's 15 feet in the year. This is an example someone else gave, not my, not my example. Right? You have a light bulb that's 15 feet in the year. No matter how tall you are, you could be the tallest, you could be Shaq. Hakeem Olajuwon, when you can't reach it unless you're standing on, on, right, on, on, on a table or something like that. Prophecy is a collaboration, basically, of the great individual. And the well, and God obviously, but God is God's not changing, and the community that's worthy of having that that level. So when the, there's a community, so there's people like like the like the Gonaville. Maimonides is a great example. Maimonides, remarkable character, saved the Jewish people in more ways than one. Right, single-handedly saved the Jewish community of Yemen. Right, organized and codified all of Jewish law to make it. Uh, 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 relatable and understandable to the masses, did so much on so many different fronts, was someone that was not capable of prophecy. Perhaps, I I would argue, if he lived uh, 1,500 years earlier, he probably would have been a prophet. Mm -hmm. Individually, he was there. The community, the the collective Jewish community, wasn't uh, wasn't ready or prepared or primed to have that prophecy. So when Moses broke the tablets, it's because he observed, or God saw, a community that was not worthy given what was done on the ground. That's a good example. Okay, and then the next time, they straightened up their act a bit and got their commandments. That's right. Okay. Yes. Now... So we were... And and again, the prophets preceded... They they existed during the period of the Second Temple. uh, At the beginning of the... of the first temple, but you say maybe the first 50 years of the Second... I'm sorry, the Second Temple era, that's that's when they started petering out then. And, Which and, is why and we if became if, a splintered community. Well, we came. Well, we came a splintered community way before that, okay. um, with the split of the of the of the northern and and southern tribes of uh, southern, southern kingdoms of Israel. But um, if you notice, if you've ever heard the name or or this body of people by the name of men of the great assembly, you heard that term? Aren't you men of the great assembly? The great assembly. I associate it with uh, the 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 cat the book that sort of. Um, Seeks to unpeel Catholicism. No, 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 no. Way before Catholicism. No, no, um, so the the, the 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 term Knesset. I want to know the term Knesset. Oh, Knesset. The Israeli okay. Parliament. Uh-huh. The Israeli Parliament has how many members? Anyone knows? One hundred twenty members. 
this was modeled after what's called the Anshe Knesset Hagadola, men of the great assembly. What Knesset means Anche assembly. Knesset. Kne- men, Anshe, Anshe, people. people of the Knesset, Knesset Hagadola, the great assembly. assembly. Now, this was an yeah. assembly which is a temporary expansion of the Sanhedrin at the beginning of the Second Commonwealth, but the year th- th- 350 before the Common Era, which was a, which was a, a 120 scholars that were established to basically. Um, transition the people from a from a world where they had prophets to a world where prophecy would not uh, would not be a factor anymore. The people because some prophet told us that was coming. Well, we have great visionaries like Ezra. Ezra 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 convened this uh, this body, you know, and they they caught up, they they canonized the Torah, the Bible. So um, the, the the Jewish Bible, the Jewish canon, uh, is corpus of twenty four books. Right, twenty four books in the Jewish Bible. Is that right? We're adding Torah, Tanakh, and Ketuvim. No, Tanakh, all Tanakh. Okay. Tanakh is Torah, Tanakh. Torah, Torah Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Who decided what was in and what was out? That body. They uh, formalized prayer. Uh, they did a lot of things, basically, to kind of transition the people from being a for-profit Judaism to a non-profit Judaism. And knowing and intentional, not organic, or some combination. I'm sorry? And that was a knowing and intentional transition. As well, well it, it was imminent. They they could tell that the scholars that the prophets weren't at the same level. Just like we said, there's levels of prophecy. <laughs> they could tell that they were basically at the bottom of the level. They knew it was going extinct. Okay. So that's why they had to prepare for that because now you're going to face a new reality where uh, there could be discord and there could be internal infighting, and we don't have that way to stamp our foot down and say, mm. we have a prophet, let's go to him and let him mediate. Mm-hmm. So they had to basically prepare for that kind of major, major threat uh, to the Jewish people. That's why the Talmud says that in every assembly, they restored Judaism because Judaism was at risk of despairing. And they kind of created a, you know rules and a framework and a structure for Judaism that could flourish without prophecy. But that's when we point to the end of prophecy. Okay? And that's why, um, uh, to answer your question, uh, that's why that's why today we cannot have any prophecies. Now, like you said, a prophecy uh, happens at night. Uh, it's in a vision. Maimonides describes a uh, the prophet shakes violently. They lose all their physical energy, right? Because it's basically an isolation of their intellect uh, or their higher uh, uh, powers with God, right? Higher powers, not, you know... Higher powers by, by mean their intelligence, their 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 soul, not their body. So their body gets weakened, right? These guys are shaking violently, uh, and uh, their physical strength is sapped. And lastly, this is also very important. Another limitation of the prophets is that they cannot summon the prophecy. So if you're Abraham or you're Isaac or you're every other prophet besides for Moses, we'll get to Moses next. You cannot just say, "I want prophecy. Let me go talk to God." You have to be ready. You're primed. You're isolating your mind to just God and just spiritual and just Torah. And then you wait. If God decides to appear to you, then yes. So you say three times, two times, one time, a hundred times, a thousand times. Either way, you're at, you, you know, you, God decides how many times it's going to appear to you when and where, etc. Uh, another very important thing. If a prophet comes and tells us, a prophet comes and tells us that one word or one statement or one mitzvah of the Torah is no longer relevant, no longer true. They contradict the prophecy of Moses. That is a sign that they're a false prophet. Prophet cannot uh, um, take any word of the Torah or any statement teaching um, verse of the Torah, uh, mitzvah of the Torah, and, uh, and, and repudiate it. If they do, then that's by definition a false prophet. Now, what's interesting, if you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? remember the story of Elijah? So he's having, a, he's having a battle with the prophets of the idol Baal, and he makes an altar outside of Jerusalem, which is a prohibition. So uh, Maimonides tells us that if a prophet comes, and who's a verified prophet, and we'll talk about how we verify a prophet as well. How do we screen a prophet? If you have a verified prophet, how do you vet them exactly? If you have a verified prophet and they come and they tell you that we no longer need to do any other mitzvah, any mitzvah, whatever that may be, that's a false prophet. However, if they say, for today, we're, 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 we're going to do a certain sin, 
or we're going to reject a certain mitzvah for one day, for, for a finite amount of time, not for forever, then you listen to them. And the example that it brings is that Elijah, Mount Carmel, he makes an altar out of Jerusalem, which is a prohibition. But he did it to save the people. So the prophet could be instructed that momentarily or temporarily he could suspend a certain mitzvah for a certain need. But if he were to say that a certain mitzvah doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist for, in perpetuity, then uh, that's a false prophet. So we are temporar- in a temporary suspension of animal slaughter and those kind of rituals? Well, that, well, that we, don't, we don't have, that's not a, a prophecy instructed. That, that's just, that's just um, the reality. Well, we those are supposed to be commandments. Ritual, wasn't it? Well, those are, commandment, those are commandments, but those are commandments only when the temple is in, is in existence. We don't have a that, temple. That's clear mm. from the liturgy. That's clear. Okay. Absolutely. Not the liturgy, the literature. I meant literature. So, so that's clear. So the commandment was not that for all time you will do this. Well, it, it, for all time provided there's a temple. Okay. Well, okay. But there is, hasn't been any other commandment that no one said, oh, we no longer wear tzitzit or tefillin, or we don't keep Shabbos, or we don't have mezuzahs, or, right? or we don't study Torah. No, no, you know? Keep and kosher. Keep kosher, exactly. Um um, if there was a prophet that would say that, then that, by definition we know that they're a false prophet. So, How do we screen a prophet? Is that a good question? Yeah. Someone comes to us and says, hey, I'm a prophet. So first things first, he has to be a good candidate for prophecy. If he's not someone who is renowned in their scholarship, who is someone that uh, has a great character, completely control of their character, that's obviously not someone who is a candidate for a prophet. We don't even listen to them, right? That's probably what we call a false prophet, someone who like that could be liable for execution. Uh, but he has to give a certain sign. He has, to, he has to show proof. I come to the people. I say, hey, I am a prophet of God, and I want you guys to, to go on a, on a war of conquest uh, with our neighbors. So that's a very weighty decision that a prophet can make if he indeed is a prophet. He or she is indeed a prophet. Is indeed a prophet or a prophetess. Now, how do we know that they're not they're not full of baloney? So yes, they seem like a good candidate. They seem like a good candidate, but do we have to have some sort of uh, verification? Yeah, they don't live. Well, <laughs> well, they have to be healthy as well. That's right. Um, so first things, if if another prophet if another prophet vouches for 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 them, then they're they're good. Like. Uh, Josh was a prophet, and Moses says he's a prophet, so we know that Josh was a prophet. We don't need any other individual verification. But what about if we don't have anyone to vouch for him? So, um, he has to make a prediction. He has to make a prediction for the future, and that, that, that prediction has to uh, become true and 100% true. If there's any slight deviation, variation between his prediction and what actually happened, that's a false prophet. Because a lot of people who are sorcerers, who are able to uh, forecasters with the with the stars and whatnot, as you know, astrologers, they could indeed forecast somewhat clearly, but they cannot have absolute clarity. Prophets, if it comes from God, it's absolutely clear. If there's any slight deviation in what the, in what the prediction was and what actually happened, that's a false prophet. Mm-hmm. The prophet can only be vetted with good promises. If a prophet says, hey, you're going to die tomorrow, and the person lives tomorrow, that does not necessarily prove that he is not a prophet. Why? Because bad predictions are warnings from God. And if someone repents, right, that could be annulled. The decree could be annulled. But good predictions are, are always come true. So if, if he predicts a certain, whatever, whatever it may be, a certain positive outcome for uh, an individual or uh, a nation or the masses, and that does not come true, uh, then they are not uh, a, a prophet. That is, that is, that's, that's why we use those things, good predictions, to prove or disprove, to vet, to screen a prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are inspected and screened and challenged multiple times. And if every time they come true, then they are a verified prophet. So that's that. And that's basically principle number six. You have prophecies, and prophets are the direction, the vision, the leadership of the people, and they're very vital, very crucial, very uh, important for the continuity of the people, for the unity of the people, uh, for um, leadership, for uh, inspiration, for direction, for guidance. What about Moses? Principle seven. Moses is the father of all prophets, Moses' prophecy is vastly superior to the prophets of all the ones that came before him or came after him. And there's qualitative difference 
between the prophecy of Moses and the prophecy of everyone else. The Talmud declares, Kol Hanavim Nisnavru Be'aspatlar She'inam Ira, and I will translate this in Hebrew. Moshe Rabbeinu Nisnavru Be'aspatlar Ira. All the other uh, prophets prophesied without clarity. Moses had clarity. That's one statement of the Talmud. Another statement of the Talmud. Kol Hanavim Nisnavru Be'aspatlar Hashem. Moshe Nisnavru Be'aspatlar all the other prophets, the words that they used was, so said God. Moses, the words that he used to prophets was, this is the word of God. The idea being, all the other prophets, they had a vision, they had an image, they interpreted it. Moses, Moses had clarity. He had face to face, the Torah says, face to face he spoke to God. Does that mean he's face to face? No, it means the way you speak to a friend. Direct communication, clear instructions, verbal instructions, no room for interpretation, clarity, aspaklaria meira, clear, bright clarity, lucidness. Moses was awake. All the other prophets are sleeping. Moses is awake, standing. Not uh, his health is not impaired in, uh, whatsoever. Difference number one. Difference number two. Direct communication, no imagery. Difference number three. Moses was not frightened. All the other prophets. When they have prophecy, they get bewildered. They get freaked out. They start, they start, their heart starts palpitating as if they're on acid. Moses standing calmly. Lastly, Moses is able to summon God. Moses walks into the old Moed. He speaks to God. Moses was always able to have prophecy. He didn't sit there and wait for prophecy to come upon him. Yeah, he was the only one. And he was the only one. Now, why is this so important? So we see, hey, Moses was a better prophet, a more talented prophet, a more skilled prophet, a more capable prophet. Why is that necessary? Why can we not have Judaism without that? Why does the prophecy of Moses have to be so superior for our religion to be valid? The answer is like this. We have a religion, and the religion has rules and laws and ideas and, and messages, and it's we, we say, from God. From God. We have a Torah that's from God. Who gave it to us? Who was the conduit who brought it down? Moses. How many myths is there in the Torah? Anyone knows? 613. Now, out of the 24 books of the Bible, where are these 613? What's the breakdown of the 613 myths? I don't know. In which of the books? In, I know they're repeated in Deuteronomy. Oh, no. Anyone knows? How many myths are there in the book of Joshua? How many myths is in the book of... Samuel, how many myths is in the book of Kings? How many myths is in the book of... Zero, zero, zero. That's correct. But they're all in the Torah. That's right. Mm. Booyah. That's right. All the mitzvahs that we have... Yes. All the mitzvahs that we have are in the Torah. Prophets, don't add, don't subtract. Our religion is based upon the prophecy of Moses. Therefore... When we have a religion, we have mitzvahs, we have, um, we have an identity, we have an instructions, we have this uh, tremendously detailed way of how to live life as a Jew. All that came from Moses. It came from Moses? Did it go through some sort of intermediary? Did it go through some sort of imagery? Is it, it came directly through Moses' instructions. The Talmud says, when Moses died, there was a... Uh, there was a measure of forgettingness amongst the people. Jewish people collectively forgot all the mitzvahs. Now, what that means is, that doesn't mean that they necessarily forgot it, but they no longer had this direct link. Right? We talked, open up the first uh, Mishnah. Ah, so the it had to be delivered directly. So right. Moses gave it all to us, and we studied for 40 years under Moses, and then we're on our own. And we've been on our own ever since. We got all the Torah from Moses. Right? Moses gave it all to us, all the prophets that come afterwards are different than Moses. They no longer have that direct, uh, well, they have a direct link, but it's not direct like face-to-face. It's not they can get it whenever they want. Therefore, the Torah had to come through Moses, and it had to be uh, delivered without any room for any ambiguity. If I have a vision, you have a vision, a third person has a vision, we all have our own style. Every prophet has their own style. Why? Because it has some sort of filter. Moses, there was no style. There was no stylistic. It was just transferring, transmitting, transcribing what God said. You know, Moses wrote the Torah. The 
the words of the Torah, uh, all 5,845 verses in the Torah, 304,805 letters in the Torah, those were all written by Moses. But it was dictated to him by God. God says, write Vayomer, he writes Vayomer. Right, write Hashem, he writes Hashem. El Moshe Lemor, right? Bereshis, Bar Elohim. It was give, it was by Moses, but did Moses have any editorial influence or any other no. sway? No. That is on the written Torah, that's on the, the entire corpus of the Torah whatsoever, uh, uh, entirely. And therefore, it's a very important thing that you got to believe that, because otherwise, you're leaving room for our religion to contain ambiguity. Our religion to contain some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of individual interpretation or elements that were part of the style of this of this of that of that prophet. I really, and, I really wonder why God hasn't chosen another prophet. Mm. He chose Moses to give us the Torah, and after that, he didn't choose anybody. Well, he's. Well, what do you mean? All those other people were chosen; they just weren't direct links. Well, no, there were direct links, but it wasn't with the same clarity. We already had the Torah. I know, but we got it. Yeah, we got it exactly. Yeah, not keep impacting us because we're not because worthy. no, no, I, I, no. But I think it's a legitimate question. I think yeah, the, I think I'm the actually, real answer is because God wants us to do it. Means God could have just given us everything without us. Why God wants us to earn it? That's the point of all life. God could have just given us whatever. Why do we need to struggle our way through it? Because that's what God know, wants. But he gave it to Moses to help us struggle through it. Well, he gave it to Moses, but Moses, like I said, there was no there was no stopping point where Moses held it. He was just transferring it. So now we need rabbis like you and all the others. Well, don't point to me. Is no, that no, necessary, okay, Howard? Okay, okay, okay. Bring it on, yeah. Rabbis like me, okay. But that is what came God, next, right? No, no, no. Too much honor. Pile it on. Pile it on. Too much. But that is, that is what happened, right? We, when the prophets faded out, then we went to... The, that's when the rabbinic era started? Well, we I'm saying... Uh, you see, yes. rabbinic era. Was it, it's, first of all, it's not it so... Yeah, but yeah, we had style. There were scholars then as well. It's just a scholar is a lower level. A, a prophet's a higher level of a scholar than a scholar is. More of a rabbi than a rabbi. But the Torah was everything we needed forever. It still is, and we're still studying the same Torah. We haven't had to meet it and make any editorial changes. And you know what? We, we didn't need it. And you know what? We looked and we found in 1947 the greatest archaeological discovery of all time in Qumran in southern Israel. When you found Torahs that are identical to the Torahs that we have, and you find Tefillins that are identical, we have. We don't need to change. You know, we don't need to adapt. We don't need to modify. You we know, got it. because we got it from God, and we got it when an unadulterated, and therefore, uh, and therefore, it, it's immutable. It doesn't need to be changed. I mean, updated. We don't have to have social, uh, uh, social. Changes. Oh, it's no longer so socially acceptable to like worry about the poor, <laughs> or or visit the sink. Uh, right? Exactly. We don't need to update it. Exactly. Now, I want to say another important point. This is, I think, uh, going to bring it bring it home. Every religion starts with a prophet. Every religion, the foundation of the religion is a revelation. It could be Joseph Smith in upstate New York in the mountains. Right. It could be Muhammad, it could be Paul on the way to Damascus, or it could be the experience at Sinai. Every religion starts the same way. That's, that's, that's clear. There is a major difference between, A, the way our religion was founded as collectively as a nation, and B, the prophet that engineered this uh, religion. Moses, when Moses came and told the people, I'm a prophet... Did he bring a sign? Did he predict anything? How do we know that Moses is a prophet? Remember, we said, how do we screen a prophet? We asked him for predictions, predict the future, right? We do it several times. The way Moses was verified was different than the way every other prophet was verified. Why? Moses was at Mount Sinai. And who else was at Mount Sinai? Everybody. The entire nation. How many people? 603,500 uh, adult males from the ages 20 603,500 adult males from the ages 20 and 60. <laughs> we the could, women were in the kit, back at the tent. No, 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 no. Everyone was there. Uh, uh, and uh, and we could assume that there was a comparable, probably more females, because men die in things called war and bungee jumping. So uh, there's probably more <laughs> females. Up, you need to write a book, war and bungee jumping. Yeah, that's how, why men die. <laughs> 
Um, uh, you assume that there were some elderly people and some youngsters. There are estimates anywhere between a million and a half, three million people. I think it was probably, I would say, a million and a half uh, to two million. That's a fair estimate. And the midrash says remarkable things. Is even children in their in the mother's utero were able to experience that, even though they were there. But they, they, you know, it's, it says something fantastic. It says that their their the mom's uteros became like glass, and they're able to see and point whatever. Does that mean literally? Probably not. It means that it was an experience experienced by everyone. And what did they experience? Read the book of Exodus. Read the repetition in the book of Deuteronomy. Everyone had prophecy. Everyone had the experience together. It was a national revelation. Our religion was founded not by one man in the mountain, not by Muhammad in Mecca, not by uh, Joseph, by 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 uh, Saul, uh, Paul. Sorry, on the way to Damascus, it was a million and a half people collectively experiencing. And after that, we heard with our own ears. We had this prophetic experience. Moshe, Moshe, Alehalahar, Moses, come up to the mountain. Therefore, the reason why we believe Moses is about not because he be some sort of prediction. Right? And even the miracles that Moses did, there were all miracles that we just needed. Like Moses, we were hungry. Moses gave us manna from heaven, he tells us, and it came. Right? But we were thirsty. Moses hits the rock and there's water. And that's how we sustained ourselves for 40 years. We're, we're, we're entrapped by the Egyptian army. Moses splits the sea. Those were miracles that were needed by their necessity. They weren't verification miracles. The reason why we believe in Moses, the reason why we know that Moses is a prophet Moses was verified by all of us individually. We experienced prophecy with him. We heard Moshe, Moshe, Lahar. Moses disappeared into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. No one was there with him. He didn't take any food or nourishment with him. He comes back down with tablets. He breaks the tablets. The whole thing goes back again. Comes back a third time. Ends up in your kipper, etc. Right? We experienced his prophecy. We know he's a prophecy. Therefore, Moses is the father of all prophets. Why is that? Because if you and I were there in the year uh, 580, whatever, 580 to 630, and we have Muhammad who says, eh, I want the, I don't know how to kind of do Muhammad impersonation. I don't want to get stoned by the, by the Muslims. Yeah, okay. So Muhammad comes to us and says, Hey guys, I'm a prophet, and this is what's called Muhammad Rasul Allah, and this is, right, and this is, uh, this is the book of uh, the Quran, these are the instructions. What do we say? Hey, you're a prophet. How do we know that you're not right? How do you know that you're not, you're not, you're not, you're, you, how do you know you're pulling our leg? And you know, he probably pulls out a sword and, a sword and beats us to a bloody pulp. That's what would happen. But the legitimate question to ask Muhammad or anyone or Joseph Smith, hey, how do we know that you're right? How do, you know, how do we know that you're not a charlatan? How do you know that you're pulling your leg? How do we know that you're real? How do we know you're not bogus? And that's a legitimate question that we can ask about every prophet. And that's the question that we're required to ask. We have to be skeptics. And Jewish people were always very good at doing that. Moses is a prophet, but we were there. We all know that he's a prophet. We don't need any other external verification for that. It was an unprecedented experience, an historical event that's documented by millions of people. They were there, they saw it with their own eyes, they heard with their own ears. Moses is a verified prophet, and he's the father of all prophets. You know why? You look at the Torah this past week, we see a prophecy of Jacob. What do you, what's the legitimate skeptical question to ask? What's a legitimate skeptical question? How do we know it's a prophet? Abraham, how do we know it's a prophet? Isaac, how do we know the prophet? Noah, Adam, how, these people that are talking to God, how do we know that's true? You were there, I was, we were there, we didn't verify it. It's true because Moses told it it's true. Moses is a verified prophet. Therefore, all the prophets that came before him, we only know that they're prophets because Moses told us. The prophets that came afterwards, they're also kind of sons of Moses in prophecy because Moses gives gives us the guidelines of how to verify prophets. Hence, the reason why we believe Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and Samuel that came afterwards is because Moses said, hey, you guys know I'm a verified prophet? I'm going to give you the Torah. In the Torah, it's going to tell you how to verify prophets. How do we know who's a true prophet and who's a fake prophet? We believe in Isaiah because Moses, who we all know is a true prophet, told us, believe in Isaiah, he's the right person, he's the right qualifications, and he fulfilled all the criteria for becoming a prophet. Amen. Amen, yes. Um, 
If someone tries to... We have to amen. Okay. It's 12.25. Sorry. Sorry. That's why I kept... I normally I wouldn't keep my phone out, but I needed to watch time. Okay, so let me just... just can, okay. can I wrap up? Yeah. Yes. If someone comes and says, hey, I want to contradict the, the, the prophecy of Moses, by definition, we can't believe him. Because the only reason why we would believe him is because Moses told us to believe in him. Because Moses is the father of all prophets. He laid down the law. He told us what is a prophet, what does a prophet need to do, how do we verify who's a prophet. If someone says, hey, I'm a prophet, and I'm going to disprove Moses, by definition, we can't believe him. Right? Moses was a prophet on a much higher level, a verified prophet, and therefore we cannot believe someone whose prophecy is coming to. It's just like someone hits like, hey, uh, Howard, what do you have for breakfast today? What if uh, we come and we, we testify that uh, you didn't have cereal? You had, uh, I don't know, omelets. You'd be a false prophet. No, the point is you know you had cereal. No matter what we say, you know you had cereal. We know. The same way that you know that what you ate today, we and know. you know what you, what, what you ate today we as well, right? We know Moses is a true prophet. No matter what you say, oh, some prophet comes to try to undo that, it doesn't matter. It's what we know. We know we were there, we experienced it. Moses is the father of all prophets. Okay. Thank you all. So that's prophecy. Thank you. Thank you. Prophecy. Prophecy of Moses. And I think, uh, you know, we could feel comfortable when we say, hey, our religion is based upon verification. It's not just uh, some sort of dogmatic um, tradition that our silly grandparents were were tricked into believing it. It's we have, real. We have the proof. We we have evidence. I'm give you a it's there there's logical verification and back at the end of the first quarter they're winning 14 nothing. Oh, thank you. I That's my right. prophecy for the day. And since he is in. <laughs> and everyone have a wonderful week and thank you guys for welcoming Thanks. me here be back here. It was great to be with you. And um, maybe we could